0: And ho, ho, ho! Welcome to the first ever holiday episode of the New Way podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Together, we're exploring the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden.
1: I really think like the essential uh, question uh, that we we're trying to answer or that any of us are ever trying to answer is the question, is this anything?
0: Today we're joined by my colleague and pal, the Reverend Jeff Eddings, co-founder of the Hot Metal Bridge Faith Community and the Coaching Associate for 1001. In this episode, we talk about Jeff's church, contemplative spirituality, and the fabulously meaningful and entertaining Hot Metal Bridge Christmas Eve Eve worship. Think Herod meets the Herdmans. And heads up... There is a tiny bit of profanity in this story. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, me too. You've got a, a, some amazing stories about work in the church planting field and had have just actually this year finished a season of pastoring a church that you started, um, Hot Metal Bridge Faith Community in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you were there for... Uh, You actually said to me, you were there for 15, but really 17 years. (laughs) I wonder what you mean about that.
1: Well, 15 years ago, 2004 is when we started our weekly services. But leading up to that, you know, there was a lot lot of work going into that for the two years before that. But 2002 is when we started thinking about it, praying about it, dreaming about it. And then 2004 is when we launched into this, that weekly journey of being a faith community. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Well, not not every young child grows up thinking they want to be a church planter, although True. we do have um, <laughs> generational church planters in our midst. Um, how, did, how did you get into this in 2004?
1: Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, me and my very good friend, uh, Jim Walker, have been doing ministry together for many years as we were both youth directors in these larger suburban, actually United Methodist churches. And Jim and I met in uh, college, uh, going to school for theater arts, and so we were always using theater and drama in our ministry uh, at our at our churches and with our youth and uh, with each other. We would travel around, and write and perform dramas, and um, and as we were being youth ministers, we felt drawn, called to go to seminary, and and I really think like the essential uh, question uh, that we were trying to answer or that any of us are ever trying to answer is the question, is this anything? (laughs) And as we were at seminary, you know, our our whole like faith understanding was going through that whole deconstruction process where you're like, wait, what do you mean? A plumb line is not really a plumb line in Amos. And look at all these contradictions in the Bible. And Um, and what, Noah might not be real. (laughs) And and so we were like asking, like, is this anything? I remember sitting in an old Testament class with him and he like slides me a little piece of paper and says, is God real? And i being (laughs) very
0: the ultimate seminary. Yeah.
1: I being very pastoral. I I said, I I write on it, shut up you moron and slide it back to him. Right. (laughs) But a couple weeks after that, over breakfast, he says to me, Hey, we need to plan a church. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes from uh-huh. like, is God real to, I think we need to plan a church. And I think it is really, cause we're always searching to answer the question, is this anything?
0: Yeah. Tell me where that comes from. Where does that come from? That,
1: that comes from, that comes from David Letterman. Okay. I don't know if you remember the sketch, um, of David Letterman used to do on a show called, is this anything? And it was a sketch where the curtain would would go up, yeah. and behind the curtain there'd be all these random things happening: people <laughs> juggling chainsaws, um, you know, doing cartwheels, somebody with hula hoops, all kinds of weird stuff. And then Dave and Paul would discuss, "Is this anything?" And they would decide at the end whether it was something or not. And I really feel that some of our, like, compelling, like, some of what compels us to do some of this, like, church planting work is, like, we're trying to figure out, is this anything? And by this, I mean, like, this whole life thing. What is it? What's going on? And and when we feel, like, the spirit moving in us, it compels us to, like, try to answer this question. And so there we were in seminary trying to answer the question, and then there we were over breakfast deciding, you know, one way we're gonna to try to answer this question is we're gonna start a faith community and, and see where that that leads us. And throughout those early years and even, even up through the last few years, there have often been moments when, uh, certainly in those early years when Jim and I would like look at each other after like a service like tanked and didn't go well or things in our leadership was blowing up and we would just say, is this anything? <laughs> and even, you know, up through the my final years of being in Hot Metal, or plenty of times where I'm like, Oh, Lord have mercy. Is this anything? Um, but often the the, the answer was, Yes, this is something. Mm-hmm. But I'm not quite sure we ever figured out or we're still always trying to figure out what the something exactly is. Yeah. But it is something. Yeah. Like the spirit like is moving. There's, there's this Jesus guy, and there's something here. And, and these like church plants are, are are trying to figure out what that something is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you've said before that a lot of times people will think that church planting, there's a way to do it, or there's a certain technique, or this is a X, Y, or Z type of church plant. But what you guys discovered in planting Hot Metal Bridge was that this church this something was really more than anything about getting people to experience participation and belonging getting people to participate and to belong and how hard that is
1: yeah yeah absolutely like uh, like we certainly had like a vision for how we wanted this community to be and and how we wanted to step into this question of is this anything and we had a style of like this kind of narrative creative worship where we were doing uh, dramas as as our message and different different artsy ways of expressing the gospel. But ultimately, like discovered it really is not about the how, it's not about uh, the where you were doing it, it was not about how like cool it seemed. Um, But what was most important was the people that were coming to us were really seeking a place of belonging. Mm-hmm. That in our journey of is this anything in life, one thing we all know that we desire and are longing for is belonging. And so people are coming into our space and we're seeking, hey, can I belong here? You know, was, was there kind of unsaid question often? And we, f- and we found like the most important way for people to really belong was to participate like, and how can we get people participating in the life of the community uh, in whatever was happening? You know, and for us, like participation was, was always an open invitation. Like, what's your idea? What's your thought? How can we empower you and equip you to try to do whatever that thing is? And how can we get you involved in, in worship? And how can we get you involved in our, in our ministry, in our outreach? And it's the people that felt that they could participate that then discovered that place of belonging. Yes. You know, and and then it didn't really matter how like hip or happening your your service was or wasn't. Yeah. It was about like if I'm part of it and I'm belonging and you have me up front in some sort of capacity, like then I then I have ownership of this place. And then I feel like uh, I'm a part of of something that's bigger than me and that ultimately also kind of gives me some meaning and and some direction. So mm-hmm really we found it wasn't about trying to put on a show our our, our creative arts or even our...
0: though you come from the theater background yeah yeah
1: it was not about like you know how perfect is this going to be or do you have your lines right you know it was about being authentic and it was about inviting like literally everyone into the participation of of the community
0: yeah yeah you know, um, it reminds me of a conversation we had in season two with Diamon Hargis, the Roving Lister, and he talks about it, that in their church and in their community. The most important question you you can ask someone is, "What do they have to give?" Mm. and and how how much how dynamic inherently that is. That if someone offers something, the way to promote authenticity is to be willing to accept that gift and to Like it takes time and energy to say, well, my gift is cooking or my gift is hospitality, that it doesn't stop there. Yeah. Then the energy moves to help them offer that gift and do so continuously, which takes a lot of time.
1: Yeah, it does. And it takes a lot of like building relationships and it takes a lot of trust. Mm hmm. Um, cause sometimes you want to be like, I, I'm, I'm not sure I want you to give that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying you want to give to the community. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and this kind of brings me to that story.
0: The Christmas Eve Eve story.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, so there was a woman in our community, Sarah, who was, um, living on the streets and, and I've kind of learned, uh, through our engagement with folks that. Are on the streets, and through my good friend uh, Dave Electric, that you don't necessarily call them homeless, because mm-hmm. a lot of folks on the street like that is their home. Yeah, in a in a very real way. Uh, and so Sarah started coming around our community, and she was one of these folks that was on the streets, and she didn't really have a place um, that was safe for her on the streets. And we were actively actually working with her to try to get her some housing. So for a, some time, she was actually uh, living in our, in our parking lot and kind of making that her her, her camp. Um, and we had to kind of do that discreetly. Neighbors aren't really excited about that kind of activity <laughs> happening in the parking lot, but that's where she was landing. And it was like mm-hmm. the only safe place. There was a lot of unsafe places for her. But Sarah was, was being faithful at uh, being around on Sundays and showing up at our... meal that happened twice a week called the table and she even for offering uh, one day brought forth and put in the offering plate uh, a receipt for half and half that she had bought that morning that morning for our coffee station Mm. (laughs) and she was like here's my offering you know here's what I have to give and Sarah would I mean she would try to help out in any way possible and she was this uh, little, smaller woman, and uh, she, would, she would talk your ear off, and it was just a, you know, a part we were trying to find ways to how Sarah participate and belong. Um And sometimes there's a lot of challenges to that, and, and she shows up at our Christmas Eve Eve service, which is a service that we usually do a drama and very family friendly, and we were doing the story called The Greatest Christmas Pageant Ever, which a lot of people might be familiar with. Yes. It's where these like kind of punk rock kids come in who don't know anything about the Bible and they take over the pageant. Right. So that's the nature of the story. Well, Sarah shows up and it was very clear that she had been drinking most of the day. And so she's chattier than usual. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is saying something. She's
1: kind of, Yeah. She comes up to me and she's like, you know, just kind of expressing all the things she's expressing. I'm trying to get everybody ready for the service. And I'm thinking, uh oh, how is this going to go? And so I helpfully find Sarah a seat in the back. And ask Scott, one of the folks that oversees our homeless ministry, to keep an eye on her. Yeah. And so things are just getting ready to get started, and she gets up and walks immediately down to the front and takes a seat, like two rows <laughs> yes. from the front. Yes. So, so uh, she sits. She happens to sit next to my wife. So I kind of go over, and uh, you know, my wife kind of like gives me the indication that like she's got this, yeah. right? That she's gonna take care of this. And my wife's sitting there with, with her family, uh, her sister and brother-in-law and my nephew and niece are all over there. And they're visiting and for so the holiday,
0: like to check they're out. visiting.
1: Yeah, they always come like for this and so as the service starts and we're doing announcements and certain music, like Sarah's just like chatting away, right? She's like it's like she's having a conversation with who's ever up front. <laughs> and she's like right in front of our, our musician who's on the on the piano and and he plays like a couple verses for our first uh, Christmas hymn and I can't remember what it was. But he ends and Sarah says, play all the verses, play <laughs> all the verses. Yes. And so, so Carolyn's trying to you know, settle settler down a little bit and then the play starts and she kind of settles down, but you can hear a little bit here and there throughout the play. And then at one point during the play, there's just a big ruckus over by Sarah. I hear a clattering and a clanging and I, I look over, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And she had this big coat on and her vodka bottle had fallen out of the coat and was clattering on the floor. (laughs) So my brother-in-law scrambles, he grabs it, they get it back in her coat. Yes. I think around this point in time, my niece leans over to my wife and says, I'm scared. (laughs) Although Sarah really wasn't scary. She wasn't scary. She was just, you know, loud. This isn't what you
0: expect at the worship service Christmas Eve
1: Not exactly. Not exactly. So so Carolyn keeps like talking to her, keeps kind of settling her down. So there's one part in the play where the punk rock kids uh, learn about Herod, right? And they learn about how Herod had all these... Children and babies killed, and so the punk rock kids in the play are getting upset and about Herod. And so then, this is that uh, you're doing
0: the Gospel of Luke story, where like for those who have haven't heard, Herod is the the evil king, so to speak. Right, the, right.
1: And so like the kids in the play are unpacking this, and and Sarah really she you, you kind of get the feeling like she doesn't realize it's a play. She thinks yeah. like, they're just kind of wanting to interact with us. Mm-hmm. And then so in the middle of this, Sarah goes, oh, she goes, oh, <laughs> fucking Herod, <laughs> <Yes>. oh. <laughs> my wife leans over and goes, Sarah, Sarah, you shouldn't swear in church. And Sarah <laughs> looks at my wife and goes, oh, Herod isn't a swear word. <laughs>
0: I love that so much because to me, number one, that's the appropriate response to hear it. Like sometimes we button it up and we're like, he's killing all these people. And then we just sit back and we listen. Sarah is understandably outraged and mobilized of this gospel story.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Like she's ready. She's ready to go.
0: And this is the dinner party story that I like to share with people when they say what's the difference between like the traditional kind of church and the kind of um work that 1001 is doing not mm. to say that they're all like this Christmas Eve, Eve service no. but um no. unexpected things happen.
1: Yeah. Which we yeah. find
0: in in many ways challenging but also I think nourishing and enlivening and and they tell us things I think about the story of God that we don't get any other way. Yeah. Like Sarah showing yeah. up and saying, you know, Herod's the worst. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah. That, that that's part of this Christmas drama too, is the what's at play, what's at stake.
1: And Sarah was was just looking for space to belong. Mm-hmm. You know, and and felt like she could show up even though she knew she was drinking all day. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the end of that service, we have the, the candlelight and Sarah has And we kind of form a circle around the whole place. But Sarah was like in the middle of the circle, holding two candles, (laughs) you know, rocking back and forth singing silent night. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I mean, I was a little concerned. I was like, okay, are we just going to burn the church down now? (laughs) Is that what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) She's kind of, you know, flailing the, the, the candles around, but she was literally in tears, Mm -hmm. you know, and at the end of it, I just went over to her and hugged her, wished her Merry Christmas. I wasn't, sure what else there was to do at that point
0: Mm. you've said um that life and church and church planting is actually more about failures than successes
1: yeah at least the way we define failure and success right because um you know we want our church plants to succeed we want folks to come. We want to be sustainable. We want to check off all the boxes of like doing the good things as as a, a new church. But often uh, there's so much that goes wrong. There's so much that we would qualify as as failure. But I think like that's what's important to embrace uh, as as church starters, as new worshiping community leaders. Is to be ready to like embrace your failures, and to understand that they're really actually a significant part of success. That if we're not trying creative things, uh, if we're not making space for everyone to belong um, because we're afraid to fail, uh, then then the church is not going to be what we need it to be, mm. which is a place of communion, place of communion f- with others and and with with God. So we've had like so many failures over, over the years. Yeah. Failures in terms of uh, how we you know, thought we should do our, our leadership, failures in terms of how we were getting people to participate, um, but also like our policy was, hey, we're gonna throw as much spaghetti against the wall and, and see what, what sticks. Um, but most of the time, a lot of that spaghetti falls right off the wall.
0: How do you talk about that as a community? Like, do you guys, did you have a vocabulary for that? Did you say like, that was a, well, that didn't go so well. We're going to try the next thing.
1: Yeah, I, I think we did. I think we were just very uh, per permission giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes those failures were, were definitely like painful or unexpected or failed in ways we weren't anticipating. Um, but again, I think it's being like authentic and and naming your failures, I think that's was a really important thing in our community to name, like, oh, that didn't go well. Oh, but what can we learn? What can we learn from it? And I think most importantly, like, how do we care for each other in the midst of what seems like like failure?
0: Hmm.
1: Um, like, how do we how do we continue to be compassionate? How do we continue to listen? Um, Because again, that goes back to how we belong to each other. And it's easy to belong to each other when things are going well and everything seems like a victory. Mm. It's harder when we're in the mess and things aren't going well and things uh, seem to be failures.
0: Mm. And some, like looking back at my own life, I think that some of those moments in church life, in growing up, in finding identity, That those messy moments are really, they're the catalytic moments. They're the moments where if we test those waters and we live authentically and someone does invite that realness into their own lives too that you feel belonging. Yeah. Winning the award or being the best at something, it may tell us something about what we're capable of, but Mm. it doesn't, I don't think necessarily result in the kind of belonging you experience when... Shit hits the fan, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, and you're all still yeah. there together, and you're in the boat together, and you're moving forward even into uncharted waters.
1: Because I, th- I think failures—that's where transformation happens. That's that's where we become transformed, and like that's the the real work of the gospel. Yeah, is our own transformation, and the transformation of community, and failure is a is a catalyst for that. It's it's very much um, like Richard Rohr's Falling Upward. Like y- you need those moments where you're you're seemingly not getting it right, or everything goes in the wrong direction. Uh, that those failures are often uh, catalysts to true transformation, to deeper transformation in in our lives and in our faith journeys.
0: It's beautiful. You mentioned Richard Rohr and um who's one of the great contemporary contemplatives, um, Christian, he's teaching Christian contemplation. And you, um, Jeff, have certainly a contemplative bent. I've learned a lot about contemplation from you. Um, I'm wondering if you wanted to say anything about that type of way of connecting with God and your own spirit influences the way that you do ministry or experience life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think in our, our spiritual journeys, we're always looking for different ways to have, uh, to be formed uh, in Christ, uh, to grow in our our uh, our discipline or the shape of uh, who we are uh, as a Christian. And so uh, we're always like exploring and trying different things. And, and for me, I've just always been kind of drawn uh, to the contemplative I've been drawn uh, to the mystical I've been drawn uh, to the silence and about six years ago I was reading uh, Martin Laird's Into the Silent Land and it, it just really struck me at that point where I was like you know what this is a space I want to I want to breathe into for a while uh, in terms of my own spiritual formation that I've used a lot of words over a lot of years to try to express who I was as a Christian and to try to get my head around what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. But I almost felt like I think I'm out of words right now. Mm. And I really wanna embrace like silence and stillness and solitude. And so uh, that's really the journey uh, I've been on the last five or six years where I, I try to take more uh, silence and solitude. I try to explore more contemplative paths of um, prayer and leadership. Uh, I recently finished uh, the Shalem Institute's Transforming Community Certificate that was around contemplative prayer uh, leadership uh, on retreats and in groups. And I just find that's like where my heart uh, finds joy and rest and peace. And that's a space of transformation for me as well, is really to, to be in those, the silent spaces. And you know, 15 years ago, 17 years ago, when Hot Metal started, uh, I felt like we were, I wanted to like be on the streets and be like, we're out here for Jesus and running all around and doing all the things. Um, but now I really just wanna like kinda go into the corner with a few people and be silent for 20 minutes. And then after that's done, say so. How was that for you? <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and if, if you're listening and you haven't experienced contemplative prayer, it can sound like like that. That's nothing, or you know, like that's just sort of copying out. But yeah. when you, I, I find Jeff, when it, the privilege of working with you is that your commitment to contemplative prayer and silence rubs off on me and unexpected ways and you know just the discernment I think that that you possess uh, because of abiding in that silence and waiting and listening rather Mm -hmm. than always being forced to come up with an answer when it's not time yet I mean I've just learned so much from
1: that Well, I appreciate that, Sarah. And because, you know, it's not easy.
0: Right. It's not just turning it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It sounds like, oh, that's just like the easy way out. Or like, no, being still is difficult. Yeah. Being silencing the monkey brain is challenging. You know, now maybe more than than ever, as we have so many distractions uh, available to us and uh, that are constantly calling for our attention and not just electronics, just like life itself seems to have like ramped up to this constant nonstop, you know, way of doing things rather than giving us any space to discover ways of being in the midst of life. And so that, that's what I've, I've found in it, that it helps me learn how to be and, and not always have to be, uh, not always do um, and creates a space uh, for for me to connect uh, more deeply with that communion with God. It's really been a place where I experience a deeper communion with God.
0: When you are starting something, um, you don't always know where it's going to end up 15 years from when you started. Yeah. And there are countless, countless examples of, of you as a church planters and... The leadership team and individuals who come and um, influence the way that the work continues and this process of discernment. I'm wondering if you have you could tell us a story about Hot Metal Bridge and and the ways in which like the baby Hot Metal Bridge Church um, grew and um, became who it is today, based on some of the people who are involved in that church.
1: Well, I think the the mistake we unconsciously make when we start this work is we think we're going to start a faith community and we have a vision of what it's going to look like and then we just think that's the way it's going to be like throughout its life and we don't understand that starting a new church is about entering into a continuous process of discernment that the discernment about how we are carrying out the mission of Jesus, how we are following faithfully after Jesus, that discernment never stops. And I think when churches stop doing that discerning work, that's when they begin to atrophy and that's when things start to fall off and that's when people start to wander away, that we always need to be asking like, who's God put before us now? And who's God calling us to? And we always have to hold loosely to our expectations of what the outcomes are. That I know often like through the years people would get a coffee with me here or there and we'd have this impassioned conversation and they'd talk about how this is the church for them and they're so excited they found it and they can't wait to be a part of it and then I would literally never see them again.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> but you don't know, no. you don't know what like seeds are being planted. You have no idea, like, we have to hold loosely the idea of like what the outcomes to our work is on a day-to-day basis. And I have one story that really uh, highlighted this for me, this whole, like, you'd never know when you're planting a seed. So um, 10 years ago, or maybe like 11 years ago, we were, we were making a shift from meeting in a Goodwill cafeteria um, to buying a restaurant bar and converting that into our worship space. We had been for the first five years without a a building. Uh, We just had this cafeteria we were renting out and an office space, but we had this opportunity to buy this restaurant bar and it seemed like a good fit for us. So we were sitting in what was then the restaurant one evening, uh, considering the plans for, for the building and how the building was going to be uh, changed into a worship space. So Our architect was there. Our leadership was there. It was very exciting, right? We're like, oh man, we can't wait to see the plans. What's this going to look like? So we're, we're leaning over this plan and this, this woman sticks her head in the window, literally sticks her head in the window <laughs> and she says, hey, wh- what are you guys about? It's a good and Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Good Pittsburgh accent. What are you, what are you guys about? And, uh, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the plans and I'm thinking, wow, somebody should talk to her. <laughs> and we're all just kind of like looking down. She says it again. What are you guys about? And I'm like, wow, pastor should go talk. I'm like, oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> right. So like, so I go outside and she, she's uh she's smoking a cigarette and she's walking her dog and. And, uh, and all of a sudden I find like, I'm stuck. I can't, I can't seem to get the words out. All the christian E words are coming out about what we're about or trying to talk about our mission or all these things. But I feel like I'm just like a bunch of mumbo jumbo, right? Mm-hmm. But finally, I just say, you know, what we're really trying to be about is trying to, trying to have that space of belonging uh, for other people so we can understand how we belong to each other and how we belong to God communion that's what we're about being with each other and being with God and she like nodded her head she was like okay and she said all right well I'll be back someday and then she's getting ready to walk away I'm like well can I pray for you before you go and she's like nah you can pray for my dog (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) so so she wanders away but then I never see this woman again right she's Season again, like gone. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to to 10 years later and uh, we're having a cooking class at Hot Metal where people from the community can come and uh, learn how to like uh, cook some good meals, learn how to shop better. You know, it was just open to everybody. Some folks from our community, from our church participated and we had, uh, you know, and other people from outside the church also came and participated. And there was this one woman, Sherry Lynn and she came and was part of the class, she wasn't a part of Hot Metal. And after the class is over, she keeps uh, showing up. She, keeps, she starts showing up on Sundays and she starts helping with meals and turns out she's a great cook and she is uh, six months into her recovery and she is just embracing everything about our community and becoming real involved. And, and one, one Sunday after our meal, that she helped prepare, I'm thanking her. And I'm just like, Sherry Lynn, it's, it's so great to have you part of this community. And she she looked at me and she said, yes. She's like, yeah, 10 years ago, I stuck my head in the window and asked what you guys were about. Wow. And you could have just knocked me over with a feather. I was like, what? I was like, that was you? <laughs> she was like, yes. She's like, I told you I'd be back someday. <laughs> <laughs> and here she was, ten years later Good. back and 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 Sherry Lynn was on my pastoral nominating committee to help find a new pastor uh, for hot metal, and she's also now beginning to attend seminary wow. so here's a story of a seed planted ten eleven years ago that the spirit took its time to to grow and to nurture in her. And now she's like a, a valued uh, member in leadership in our community.
0: It's an amazing reminder that people live their lives in between Sundays. And so in yes. between the years of yeah. plans, like it's not just happening there when we're gathered.
1: And, and it's about and, the slow work of God, yeah. right? It doesn't happen overnight.
0: Jeff, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and just these stories are a gift of encouragement and just a gift of beauty to the larger church I just so appreciate you and you as a pastor.
1: Oh thanks, Sarah. I mean I, I hope they, I hope they are a gift. I hope um, the people here in the, these words that um, you know that the, it, it's it's a challenging work. Um, but our failures aren't necessarily failures. And, and the spirit is like present in this uh, and the spirit works with us and it works with whatever we have to bring to the table uh, that we just sometimes need to to persevere and, and to trust uh, that God is up to good things and God wants to use us uh, in this work. And so my encouragement is just to, uh, for our church planners or anybody who's on this faith journey to, you know, it, it works if you work it they say in recovery circles and and that's very true about church planning and our faith journey as well. Like, uh, that, that we're trusting, we're trusting in something that's deeper. But I think what's really important for me is that that something always remains connected to Jesus. Like Jesus is actually the something that's the answer to the question. Is this anything? There's still something about Jesus.
0: Jeff, thank you so much. A quick plug for our coaching program. New possibilities are exciting and full of promise. A coach helps leaders narrow the work down to concrete, actionable steps. No one should have a go at this work alone. 1001 has over 65 trained coaches for ministry leaders in a veritable Pentecost panoply of languages. Connect with Jeff and check out more about coaching on our website, newchurchnewway.org. We'd be remiss not to plug that holiday classic story, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever by Barbara Robinson, which follows the outrageous church shenanigans of the Herdman siblings. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Our producer is the fabulous Marthame Sanders. You can visit our website, newchurchnewway.org, and see stories and photos of the humans involved in this movement on Instagram, at 1001 NWC PC USA. Catch you next time.